Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 30. And what we've been doing the last several weeks here, our 20th anniversary is coming up in just uh, three Sundays from now. And uh, actually, 1 Samuel, did I say 2nd? I meant 1st. 1 Samuel, there is no 2 Samuel 30. Sorry about that. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, what we've been doing on the last several Sunday mornings is kind of just having uh, a review. It's, it's kind of hard to take 20 years and just cram it into one week. And, and we've been going over, uh, I've been using the Sunday morning time to just um, review some of the sermons that have been special over the years to me because of different circumstances and things uh, in the ministry. And uh, I've gotten a lot of people say, well, Pastor, I enjoyed those sermons. And so uh, Brother Clayton said once, if it's, if it's not worth preaching twice, it probably wasn't worth preaching the first time. And so some of you may have heard these uh, uh, before, the last time I checked on Sunday morning was 1998, so I don't think there's too many people uh, that uh, remember this. When we do the inner city missions class, I always make sure and have at least one session to go over this. Uh, this title is David Encouraged Himself in the Lord. Uh, how many of you have ever been through a storm in life? Uh, if you haven't, I've got good news for you. It's coming. Somebody said, I just wish I could have life with no difficulties. Well, just a minute. What kind of life would that be? I mean, there are places you go, and I don't mean to make light of this in any way, uh, but there is a place you can go where there is no difficulty. They'll come in and they'll bring your medicine and they bring your food and they tell you what to do and where to go and how to think. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't think I'd like to be in that kind of place, would you? Life is not the absence of difficulties. It's God's grace and strength to deal with it, to come through it on the other side. Amen. And one of the reasons we encourage you to be here in our Sunday school time is we go through the Bible a story at a time. You say, well, the Bible stories are for children. No, the Bible stories are the foundation of your understanding of the entire Bible. If you do not know much about the life of David, uh, I challenge you, you're going to have to go home and read most of the book of 1 Samuel uh, to get the entire story, because if I took time to tell you all of the stories that lead up to this one, so that you can really get a hold of what's going on here, uh, we'd be here until time for church tonight. And I don't think anybody wants to stay quite that long. But just to lay a little bit of background, David had been anointed to be king. He had fought and killed Goliath. He had been the captain of the armies of Israel. He was then reduced to nothing more than just a minor officer. He had married the king's daughter. 
and then he had to run for his life at the hand of Saul. Several times, Saul almost had David in his hand. Finally, David escapes to Gath. Now, stop and think about this. Uh, What was Goliath's hometown? Gath. It was the king of Gath that had given David a city, his own place to live. Now, remember... David had 600 men with him. Uh, Almost all of them had wives. How'd you like to have David over for dinner? And about 1,500 other people. I mean, it... That's why the king of Gath gave him an entire city. And they went and they occupied that city. Its name was Ziklag. And things were going pretty well. Saul did not dare try to attack David while he was living under the dominion of the Philistines. And and David had a relative period of peace there. But things didn't last that way for long because the Philistines and the children of Israel went to war. And Achish sends his messenger and David and his men line up with the Philistine army. Now stop and think about this. Here's David, 600 or so men, lining up with the Philistine army, tens of thousands. And they're getting ready for battle. Now, is David going to kill his own people in battle? He wouldn't so much as insult the king. Remember, he cut off the hem of Saul's garment. It says his heart smote him. Now, if you're in a battle, the last place you want to be is in the camp of the enemy. Amen? And I don't know what David's men were whispering and how they were doing this, but Achish came up to David and said, you're going to be the protector of my head forever. And, of course, I don't know if David was thinking about in a glass case or... Uh, but David certainly wasn't thinking about helping Achish kill the children of Israel. The other lords of the Philistines went over to Achish and said, basically, what's wrong with you? Why are these Jewish people here? If he reunites with his master, it's going to be to the heads of these men. It's going to be to our detriment. And so David was sent away. Now, you can just imagine. David knew that if he entered the battle, King Saul and all the people would kill him. If he lifted his sword against Israel, he was going to have the judgment of God upon him. And if he lifted his sword against the Philistines, the entire army was right there to make sure and wipe them out. And David escaped. Everybody, collectively, talk about a close shave. Talk about a difficult situation, one that only God could work out. But God wasn't finished yet. As they were returning to Ziklag, the city that the king of Gath had given David, this is where we pick up our reading in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
And it came to pass in verse 1, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, and Noam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, and David was greatly distressed For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I wish we could get the emotion of the situation this morning and understand, of course, it's a lot easier to look at someone else's trial and someone else's uh, difficult time, someone else's suffering, than it is to look at your own. You know what the definition of real suffering is, right? That's when you hurt. Uh, The definition of someone else's suffering, that's a lot easier for me to handle. How about you? As we look at what was going on here, you have to imagine what was going on in the minds. This was the day when people were taken captives. Do you know where these captives were going to end up? They were going to end up on the auction block sold as slaves. It was not a pretty picture, my friend. Every man there knew that if this thing went, progressed as it normally would, they would never see their wives or their children again. They would be dead in a very short time, worked to death, abused and misused in every way you can imagine. Now here's what David and his mighty men did. They wept until they had no more power to weep. I would dare say the majority of us have never been in that situation. I mean, we have wept and we've uh, had uh, great emotional things that have drained us. But I mean, these guys, uh, if you've ever been in the depths of despair and looking at a situation that you had no control of and nothing you could do. I mean, it wears you out like you cannot imagine. You you just have no more strength. But here's what David did. It tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I want to stop with that phrase. Some of you may remember this. We stretched this out over three Sunday mornings. So I've got three whole sermons we're going to try to cram in to one time this morning. But 
the first way that David was able to encourage himself, or one of the ways, was number one, because of the promises of God. How many of you remember the story? 1 Samuel chapter 16. You see, Saul had rejected following the Lord. It was going to bring a new king. 38 years later. Somewhere in that 38 years of time, God instructs Samuel to go to the city of Bethlehem and find Jesse and get his sons. And so Jesse made his sons pass before him and Samuel said, not him, not him, not him. Don't you have any more left? And Jesse's going to just gave you seven sons. How many more do you want? He says, no, I have the youngest, but he's out in the pasture taking care of the sheep. And, and Samuel looked at him and said, we're not sitting down until he's here. And that old prophet Samuel took those big burly brothers of David and put them in a circle so nobody could see in. I almost have to believe that the brothers were facing outward, not inward. Not even they were to really understand what was to happen. And the old prophet reaches into that robe and pulls a horn of oil out. An animal horn. It had been hollowed and sealed. And he takes it and he breaks it. And he pours the oil upon little David's head. Maybe 15 or 16 years old at this time. And he tells David, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. It's the next chapter he fights Goliath. David is now a grown man. Most of his adult life has been marked by suffering, by hiding from Saul. And as he sits here in the dust that has turned to mud through his own tears and the tears of his men, I wonder if he could still hear the noise of the horn crackling. He says, God told me I'd be the next king. He didn't bring me here to die. I have no idea what he's going to do, but he promised me life. The promises of God. How easily do we forget God's promises when life gets difficult? David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David knew one thing for sure. He remembered all the times. The story of Nabal. Where God sent the wise wife of Nabal to Keep David from stepping over the boundaries of God's laws. When Saul was there and David easily could have killed him on two separate occasions and his men came and and said, David, let's get rid of Saul. And David says, we're not going to step over God's word. 
You know, one of the greatest reasons people have difficulty is because they've stepped over the boundary of God's word, and that's why they're in trouble. David encouraged himself in the Lord because he knew he was within the boundaries of God's word. He knew he had not disobeyed. David also encouraged himself in the Lord because of God's provisions. How many times? What do we got going on here? We got a bee flying around in the building? Huh? Okay. Uh, Stephen, turn the fans down. It'll probably find its way out. All right? There we go. Let's see if we can finish this here. But... How many times had God provided for David as he traveled, as he tried to escape King Saul, as he did all of these things? We need to remember, God has given us his promises. But how many times has God provided for you? I wish we had the time to go through every time. My favorite story about David was he had gotten God's direction to uh, fight the Philistines at the threshing floors of Keilah. And so David is down there having rescued the people of Keilah. And what is their reward to David for his helping them? They send messages to King Saul and said, David's here. And Saul's army surrounds the mountain David and his men are on. And completely traps them. And Saul, I've got him. He's right here. And a messenger comes running up. The Philistines have invaded the land. Saul, you've got to come now. Why had the Philistines invaded the land? Because they were trying to get even because of what David and his men had just done at the threshing floors of Keilah. Uh, let me, let me tell you something. If you want protection in this life, you better be doing what God wants you to do. He will provide. You must obey. David encouraged himself because of the promises of God, the provisions of God, and the power of God. Do you think David really thought he killed Goliath? Now, if you've got one of them newfangled Bibles, you know what they do? They put David's brother killed Goliath. They really do. That's why we don't like newfangled Bibles. I, I like God's Word, not something been messed with. Amen? And so, as David understood that, yes, he had a lot of practice with that slingshot, let me tell you. And it wasn't a slingshot. It was a sling. Uh, don't ever try to do what David did at home. It, it will hurt you. Uh, uh, it, it's a, a very deadly weapon. But David had to have a tremendous amount of practice.
But let me tell you something. Practice doesn't do any good unless God directs. And it was God's power that killed Goliath. It was God's power that took David's mighty losers and made them into David's mighty men. Amen? It was God's power that had kept David safe. And the last point I want to make here is David encouraged himself in the Lord because of the presence of God. It was David who would later write, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You think David may have been thinking about 1 Samuel chapter 30 when he penned those words? Was he not in the valley of the shadow of death thinking about his wives and his children being taken captive by this roving band of of, uh, madmen, of marauders, of pirates who were going to make a profit selling them in the slave market? Let me tell you something. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. There may be a time when there's no one else out there to help you. You'd better be able to encourage yourself in the Lord. His promises, His provision, His power, and His presence. And God's people said, Point one. We'll we'll have you out of here on time. But I want to challenge you that if David had just stopped here with the encouragement and the things that God had done, David would not have been long for this world. Because these men were speaking about stoning David. They were going to turn their sorrow and their bitterness in his direction because David was their leader. Was it really David's fault that they were here? Well, I mean, he led them to Gath. He brought them here. Yes, they had a little bit of safety, but now they were in bigger trouble than they ever could imagine. And so let's get back to verse 6. The last phrase says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. Now I want you to understand there was not a great period of time that was expired between David encouraging himself in the Lord his God and David inquiring at the Lord. He did not procrastinate. If David took time to let the good feelings overtake him, he would have been dead. David didn't wait to get in touch with himself. He was still exhausted. By the way, If you really want to get in trouble, get in touch with yourself. 
Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let me tell you something. Do not follow your heart. Follow the word of God. David inquired at the Lord. It's interesting the wording that is there. He inquired at the Lord. He had some questions that he needed answered. And David was waiting, did not wait. He did not take any time. He said, get me the ephod. I'm going to talk to God about this thing. Could I challenge you? David did not pretend. You know what the easiest thing for you to do when life gets miserable? It's to pretend. You ever met somebody living in the world of make-believe? I met a guy one time. I think I've told his story here before. He's probably about this tall right about here. Uh, very plain. Uh, he was, well, I'm not trying to be rude to anyone who is losing their hair, but he was just making room for another face up here. And uh, But he thought he was James Dean. I'm, I'm not kidding you. He actually looked me in the face and he said, I look in the mirror and I see James Dean. And I'm sitting here going, we got to get you a new mirror. No. The problem wasn't the mirror. The problem was what was going on in here. David didn't procrastinate. He didn't wait. He also didn't enter the land of make-believe. He didn't pretend that things were better than they are. We have a name for that today. We call it the presidential race. Amen? They are pretending that things are better than they are. Don't ask yourself the question, are you better off than you were for four, four years ago? Ask the question how you can get the guy out of office. Amen? It's called vote. David did not take time to meditate on all the wonderful things that God had done. He wasn't sitting there encouraging himself over and over again. He got it done. He got moving. He didn't paste and uh, cut out circumstances from a better portion of his life and pasted over this really rotten portion and tried to make himself feel better. David did not defer to anyone else or try to blame anyone else. David didn't take time to ask why. He wanted to know what. That will help you when you get in trouble. Amen. David did not allow the pressures 
that were upon him to force him to outstep the boundaries of God's law and enter the priesthood. He asked the priest to bring the ephod to him. And David asked the questions, but it was the priest that made the Urim and the Thummim, which were in that garment, give them the answers that God had for them. Now, if you don't know what the Urim and the Thummim is, they were two special instruments that were included in the breastplate of the high priest. Apparently, when uh, uh, Abathar escaped, he brought that with him, and you could ask God questions, and he answered through those two devices. Somebody said, well, what are they? Nobody knows. And don't try to figure it out. I read in one book that uh, it said that God would make the jewels on the breastplate light up and spell out words. He said, now that's really ingenuitive, but I I really am, am not going for a bizarre quiz show here right now. But God answered in a way that was understood. You see... David asked the real questions, not the ones that would make him feel better. Let's read his questions. David inquired at the Lord, verse 8, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Lord, do I get up and go try to get them? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, answered him, Pursue... For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So David didn't procrastinate. He didn't pretend. And this next one is a big one for all of us. Uh, He's just going to be here, so just leave him alone. David didn't take time to ponder things. Do we have any ponderers here today? Now, if you are, don't raise your hand. Okay, Peter? And uh, he's my son. I can pick on him once in a while. But listen, when you have God's word, don't take time to stop and think about it. Obey it. David did not pull all of his chief men in together and say, now listen, guys. God has told us to go and pursue and we'll recover all. I want to take a straw poll and see what you think about that. If David had taken a straw poll, it would have been because they were covering up his body with straw. This was a crisis. One of these mighty men had killed 800 at one time. What do you think David's chances of survival were? He didn't give up, get up. And this is the point, I love this point. He didn't get up and give a big speech on how we ought to be encouraged and how we ought to, it's really not as bad as it is and let's move forward. He did not trust in his own understanding. Last of all, and the most difficult David didn't try to protect himself. 
You know, when things go really bad, what is your first obligation? Protect myself. Wrong. Your first obligation is to obey God's word. God will do the protecting. What do you think would have happened to David if he'd have called those three mighties? Those three guys that were the chief and said, now listen, uh, the four of us can stand back to back and we can protect ourselves against the rest of the 600 if we just get a few moments here to get things together. That would have been an admission that David had no idea what he was doing, where he was going, and that God had forsaken him. He was trusting in his own men, in his own mind to protect himself. And that would have been the end of David. He'd never gotten to king. You see, David had the promises of God. He had the power. He had the protection. When he inquired at the Lord, he said, listen, God's given me the promise I'm going to be the king. I'm not going to die now. So let's not waste time trying to protect something that God has already promised. Amen? He said, listen, there's no time for us to sit and think about it, we got to get moving. And David did not allow other men's sorrows to make him bitter toward his men. Were they bitter toward him? Oh, you better believe it. They were talking about killing him. But David said, I'm not going to return that because my eyes are on the Lord and we've got work to do. All of this transpired, I would have to believe, by our text, in just a matter of moments after the initial weeping, which took hours, began to cease. The last one, look at verse 9. So David went... He and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Bezor where those that were with him, those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men and 200 abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he'd eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. We're going to stop right there. The last point this morning was David, number one, encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Number two, he inquired at the Lord. Number three, David endured. Brother Franz was talking about it in Sunday school. So many times people quit just as God is ready to move. They give up just before God works. David took no time for rest or refreshment. There was no refitting. There was no sitting down and sharpening the swords and making sure everything was going to be good for the battle. And the thing that is so amazing to me is they get to this brook Bezor and there's 200 
of his 600 men, a third of his force are so faint that they can't cross over this little brook. And David just leaves them there. He's not even going to take time to counsel. He's not going to take time to, to give any special instructions. He keeps going. They just stay. But then they find this Egyptian guy three quarters of the way dead in the field. And they take time to feed him and make him drink water. And they wait until his spirit comes back into him. He is in a comatose state. He's not eating or drunk water for three days. And, and they sit there and they force feed him and force hydrate him. And, and you got to be very careful how, they, how you do that or you can kill a man. And so they give this guy all of this special care. I mean, we're talking about hours. And then they find out he's the key to the whole problem. You see, David pursued, but he didn't let the faint guys slow him down one minute. He finds this guy that's three quarters, an Egyptian, not a Jewish person, not anybody that he's under any obligation to help laying in the field. He has no idea who he is or what, can, what he's connected to. But you know what? It's always right to help somebody. And so his men help him, and he loses hours only to gain the entire quest because he kept doing what was right. Amen. David prosecuted the matter completely. It was the break of the next day when they finally found the camp. Now, let's go through the timetable here. They had been traveling three days from the battlefield to get back to Ziklag. They find Ziklag burned with fire. They weep until they have no more power to weep. David encourages himself in the Lord in a matter of moments, inquires of the Lord. And before the men have a chance to dry their tears, David's girding his sword on and he's saying, guys, we're going after him. Because God said so. 200 men can't make the journey. They get left at the brook. 400 men wait while this one half-dead Egyptian is brought back to the land of the living. And he guides them right into the camp at the break of the next day. How many of you have ever been up over 30 hours straight? I saw a few hands going up. And when you see that sun come up the next morning, there's something it just does to you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're just sitting there and you're going, this is really dumb. But David couldn't stop. Now was the time of attack. There were only 400 guys that escaped. And the only reason they escaped David and his men was because they had an extra set of feet, camels, under them. There was nobody on the ground 
that survived David and his men. They made sure. And one of the things about this was David took no time to check his interest until the entire thing was done. He didn't go through the prisoners real quick. Hey, there's my wife and my kids. They're safe. Okay, now I can finish the battle. No. He knew that if he was going to be successful, it was all or nothing. We've got to finish the battle. Then we'll check on the people. Amen? One of the greatest dangers when you find yourself in a battle is when you take time to check on yourself for what you think is important. You finish it first and let God take care of that. Amen? And then finally, after it was all over, you see, God had already given David a promise. He was going to recover all. So why did David have to waste time in the battle trying to make sure that God was going to do what he says? Amen? And we often destroy the ability of God to do what he wants to do in our lives because we're too busy checking up on God. Could I ask you, could I challenge you? That's not faith. Faith is being obedient to God's word and letting God take care of everything else. When he's given you something to do, you say, but all I have to do is show up. Well, just be faithful. Maybe God is just growing you up a little bit so he can use you in another way. Amen? And we get down toward the end of this chapter here. And let's go to verse, nine, uh, verse 18. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men which were so faint they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord has given us. Who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand? For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. You know what? The battle wasn't over yet, even after it was all done. There were some guys there that said, they're not as good as we are. Let's get rid of them. Hey, let me tell you something. 
It wasn't time to take care of the men at the brook as they were pursuing the enemy. That's why David left them. But when he got back was the time to take care of them and they got taken care of just the way the Egyptian did. You see, when you follow God, you're able to be a blessing to everybody involved except the enemy. The Amalekites didn't get blessed. But what I want us to understand this morning, God put David's story in here for a reason. I pray that none of us in this room will be faced with what David was faced here. That would be far exceeding beyond anything that we could imagine. But David lived in a wild and untamed world. He was living by his sword. The lives of his wife and wives and children were in mortal danger. David's life was in mortal danger from his own men. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired at the Lord. And he endured until it was completely finished. And it wasn't finished until the men at Bezor were taken care of as well. This is a story out of the life of David. I can't tell you how many times in the last 20 years I've gone back to the story and gone through. said, you know, there's, there's just a temptation to do many of these things that David didn't do. And we got to be reminded that if we're going to serve God, it's going to be his way, at his direction, in his time, in doing what he says. And that's how God protects us. That's how God brings us through the darkest hours of what we call life. I'd planned on preaching a different sermon this morning, but the Lord just laid upon my heart to preach this one. And so the invitation is simply this. Number one, if you're with us today and you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I must tell you this sermon is not for you. Because you cannot inquire at the Lord, you cannot encourage yourself in the Lord, you can't obey the Lord until you obey Him in salvation first. You must surrender everything you are to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust only in Him as your Savior. The next Group, if you've been saved, let me ask you. Do you need to encourage yourself in the Lord? Have you forgotten Hebrews 11.6, that God is always good and he is never anything else? Maybe you've encouraged yourself in the Lord, but you're just sitting there thinking about it. Could I challenge you? 
not to rest on your blessed assurance, but use it to prosecute the matter. Use it to get out there and get something done. God did not save you to sit. He saved you to serve. When he tells us to watch for his coming, we are to be busy about our master's work till Jesus comes. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in prayer. And Lord, I I pray that this message would be an encouragement to those that are here today. But Lord, it would also provide that gentle rebuke that you often give us to get us moving in the direction that you would have us to go. That we would not allow our emotions or other things to detain us or to move us in a direction that you would not have us to go. But Lord, you would give us that crystal clear direction from your word. And Lord, if we have one here today that maybe has gotten through all of this and they're just uh, getting a little weary and well-doing and thinking about, uh, I've done my portion, that they would be encouraged today not to slow down and not to quit until everything is done. Lord, we're thankful that that everything is done point is in your hands and not in ours. We ask that we would be faithful till you take us home. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.